Blog Talk Radio. Edition. Today is February the 9th, 2019. It just seems like yesterday we just flipped the page on 2019, and we're already into February. Time moves by fast. We want to thank you all for joining us, however, wherever, whenever you uh, listen to the show. It's great to have you. I'm your host, John Robb. And today we got 60 minutes of some great radio coming up for you. We have Kevin James Bro coming up first, followed by New York Times bestselling author Lisa Gardner. So it's going to be a great show. Also going to have a little bit of announcement to let you know that we're changing some things up here on the radio show. So this live Saturday show is going to actually go away. Uh, we got about four shows left, and then after that we're going to change some things up. But we're not going to have live Saturday shows. We're going to do some things that have actually more content to be able to do. So um, look for that. I want to remind you that all the shows here are brought to you by Kensington Books. So visit kensingtonbooks.com for more information on their authors and everything they have going on. Of course, check out the website, suspensemagazine.com. You can click and uh, find the uh, Best of 2018 issue is available on there for free. I'm also taking some things out, putting them on there for uh, different blog posts so you can kind of see some of the things that were in the magazine. And Like I said, I'm just kind of taking and piecing it out, so keep your eye on that. So without any further ado, we want to welcome our latest author to the show. I haven't talked to him in some time, and it was great. He emailed me up, and he was like, John, what's going on? What are you doing? And we're like, so like, shit, Kevin, what are you doing? So it's great to be able to have him back on to talk. And Kevin, thanks so much for coming on. How you doing? Hey, John, doing great. Hey, like you said, it's been a couple of years at least. I think I think I was trying to look back. It must have been like three or four, I think, that we've kind of done something here. Um, it's been some time. How you been? It has. It, you know, I was looking it up last night, too, and I think maybe the last time I was on the radio might be something like nine years. Nine years. That could be. I didn't go through all the 500 episodes. I just remember that we had you in the magazine, but nine years. So yep. what did you do, write, like, one book within nine years? you just kind of been, you know, picking <laughs> no. up? <laughs> no way. You've been no, busy. That's not me. You've been busy. I'm one book a year person, not one book every nine years. Yeah. Well, I mean – you know, you write in that, you know, you, you, you do, you know, the, the urban fantasy uh, books, and you have, you know, a lot of action adventure, little elements of, of other little genres in there. So those books take some time. I mean, people that read fantasy and read those kinds of things realize it's a little different than like a crime thriller because you're having to build a world. You're having to, I mean, when you just go to your website and you look at your new uh, Soulborn saga, I mean, you literally have a map of a new world that you have to create. So it's something a little bit different than just sitting down and saying, okay, you know, here's my next crime thriller, here's the next villain, here's the next things. Right. I, I, one of the books that I've written, and actually I haven't really touched upon with you, is a Viking Age uh, Norris mythology, kind of a dark fantasy. I mean, it's got everything. It's horror, you know. Of course, I throw some romance in there. I, it's, it's literally as multi-genre as you can get. And that book has to be 
the one that took me the longest to write and the hardest to write because I had to fact check. Anything that I was going to actually put in that was historical, I went out there and I fact checked really deeply because I knew there's going to be readers who are going to be reading this and be like, wait a minute, that landmass does not exist or, or this town does not exist in this time period. And I wanted to be like sure of it all. And to make it even harder, I wanted to keep appropriate or at least trying to keep appropriate language. So I wouldn't just throw the <laughs> F word out there because I don't think the Vikings had the F word. So I had to actually right. look for like a Scandinavian version of the F word and then historically date it way back to my time period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing, too. When you are writing about the Vikings, who probably didn't speak English, you know, probably a different language, and, you know, you have to kind of make it into English and things like that. And that's, I never thought about that. There's probably words that we have today. Um, you know, there's something going around now, which my, which my daughters told me about, and, and I really had to laugh. Because I'm like, I just don't understand. Like, I don't understand this whole cultural appropriation thing, and I'm just cracking up over. It. And I'm like, we are just so stupid with all these things. But, and I'm just like, so you know, those are those are things 20 years ago nobody would write about. But now, books coming out yeah. today, you might start hearing in a book. So that would be a big struggle. Yeah, I remember when I was a, uh, I was being mentored by Jonathan Maybury, Jonathan Maybury, and uh, oh, yeah. I would sit in these classes with him. And he was telling us how he wrote this book, and when he was writing it, you know, everything was time period, like present day sort of stuff. But by the time it got edited and published, suddenly he was looking back and like, oh no, you know, people don't use like Walkmans or like like CD Walkmans anymore. They're using MP3 right. players. People don't use like 35 millimeter film. They're using digital cameras. And it was literally yeah. the, over the course of like a year or two difference. And it was just how quickly things had technology had moved on him, and suddenly he was like, oh, I need to talk to the other. I need to go back and fix these things, because people are going to be reading the book and be like, what time period is this? Yeah, yeah, that is funny. But there's one thing that you did finish here. You have um, your Water Kingdom series, and it's a trilogy, and the, li- the, late- the latest book is called uh, Three Burning Red Runway Brides. Uh, so why don't you give us uh, some insight here in- into the series? I grew up um, right in the middle of some crazy, you know, 1980s cartoons and then 1990s, you know, things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and a lot of uh, vampire role-playing games and stuff like that. So I I feel like a lot of my um, foundation as an author is these really fantastical uh, properties. And I've always been a huge fan of things like G.I. Joe and Masters Universe, and I really would like to get to something like that at, at some point in my life. But I was like, you know, I can really write something in this, like, vampire or Buffy kind of world. And I really love that stuff. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go and I'm going to dive deep into this. And I'm going to write something that's, like, that's a combination of, of Buffy and, like, Die Hard and, and pop cultural funny references. And I'm going to throw a whole ton of sex into it. I'm going to make it, like, true blood. And, and I just was like, okay, I can throw all these things in the pot, stir them up, and come up with something really cool. And I thought, at the time I started writing it, I need a character that people will recognize when they start to read it, and maybe they won't want to relate to that character at first, but as that character grows, they're going to really become endearing with it. So I came up with this whole Water Kingdom series that follows a socialite, sort of like Paris Hilton, but I named her Sabrina London to kind of play off that joke. And I have her be a foul-mouthed socialite that's actually a fairy princess, and she's hiding in plain sight. And the book starts off with her just kind of dodging some 
some social media and 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 like terrible uh, sex scandal stuff, and suddenly she gets thrown into the larger world and and the otherworldly world and the human world sort of start to collide and that was like my origin story, that one book, and I was really leading towards something bigger. And as I got to the second book, I opened up this huge world. Like you said, I started a really world build. And I wanted to like complete a series in three books, but then make it able to branch out into like maybe, maybe like a single book about this one character. Sort of like, like Outlander has your John Gray book. Right. I wanted to like, here's my series, this starts this world, in the future, I'm going to write maybe a single book here or another series there, but you're going to get this complete story of this character in these three books. And I feel like I did it, and I'm pretty happy with it. And it's, the first book won awards, the second book won awards. The third book has you know, already been, you know, people who've seen it have, have, have liked it and have given it decent reviews, so I'm hoping you know, it, it, it really gets like, marked down as something that people recognize my name with. Gotcha. Yeah, I. But when you know when you when you went out to kind of sit there like you said and then throw everything in a pot and kind of see what jambalaya kind of kind of came out. Did did you know that it was going to be three books? I I think I, I start off being like, oh yeah, I'm going to write a seven book series. This is going to be fantastic. Yeah. And then I was like, wait a minute, that is just way too crazy for this for the urban fantasy genre. I don't think I can hold an audience for seven books on like one character story. I could do that with a fantasy story, like an epic fantasy or dark fantasy, but I was like, you know what? I think people are going to want to see this character's start to finish in three books. And, and when I got done the second book, I was like, yeah, I really feel like the third book is going to end it. And I was happy with that. So I sort of started off being like, oh, I'll do seven. And then I was like, no, I'll do five. And I was like, no, three is, is the perfect number. Yeah. I, you know, trilogies and fantasy always tend to like go hand in hand, of course, probably because you know Tolkien was the – was the you know the godfather I guess you want to say and he wrote the trilogy and that was kind of uh, you know the mainstay and then of course you have like the Robert B Jordans with the Wheels of Time series and and go yeah. on and so forth and now Game of Thrones is going on and stuff like that but at what point in the series I mean which, which kind of book in the series what was kind of one of the more difficult ones was was there something that you wanted was there elements within three that you wanted to make sure that, you know, you as an author would be challenged in some kind of way? Because the stories alone in fantasy are very, very challenging. But, you know, still, you as an author, you kind of want to look at things a little on the different side. Yeah, book three would have been the most challenging for sure. Um, it, it's like you're conscious of trying to tie people's stories up, and at the same time you're like, I don't want to, like, completely shut the door on everybody. I want people to have the ability to, to live on or, or have future stories. Uh, you, you kind of start to get, of course, you get the readers in your head, and you're like, well, the readers love these characters. What am I supposed to do with them? Like, I, I want to do certain things with them, but will the readers, you know, appreciate what I'm doing? And, you know, of course, like you said, you know, Game of Thrones, I mean, he loves to kill off his characters and piss off his readers, you know, so it's sort of like you have that kind of thought, like, you know, I don't want to just be that person, but at the same time, I want to be that person. I want to, like, kill off a character if that's what I want to do. Um mm -hmm. So yeah, you kind of get stuck with the what should I do, what shouldn't I do, and and how can I end everybody appropriately and and tie everything up. But at the same time, you you know you never really want to stop telling a story. You want to keep telling it forever. And that's why so many you know movies and TV series that when they end, they're still open ended. Yeah. 
Which characters kind of surprised you a little bit? Which ones kind of came out at you and had bigger voices than, than you thought they might at the beginning? Because um, that is one of the also, you know, that's one of the elements of fantasy too is that there's, there's so many different characters that create these worlds um, more than like crime thriller books where, you know, you might have like, you know, like two or three main characters and a couple secondary ones, but fantasies are much different than that. I mean, it's massively massive worlds. Right. Yeah, I decided that in my Water Kingdom books, they would be like following the elemental kingdoms, you know, water, earth, air, uh, fire. Mm-hmm. And, and Sabrina, who's the main character of that story, is the princess of the Water Kingdom. But I thought, you know, what other kingdoms would exist outside of the, of the, of the four elemental kingdoms? And I started to think of things like, well, you know, what would, like, pollution be? What would um, polluted air or what would uh, slimes, molds, fungus, what would these things exist in? And I started to create a kingdom of just those things that would be considered pollution or, or, or filth. And I had a character I created from one of those kingdoms um, that's just a talking slime who liked to take the, like, mimic the shape of, of cats and dogs and rats. And as I started to develop him, I thought, obviously people are going to look at this and think it's funny, so I need to really like, push the envelope of, of humor with him without being too annoying. So I was like, all right, I'm going to give him like a Joe Pesci accent. I'm going to have him <laughs> constantly like, interrupting people, saying ridiculous things, making sexual innuendos, um, just being as Joe Pesci as he can be while still being this like, ruthless like, spy slime like dirtbag and as i was writing him i was like oh my god he is so much fun to write and as people read the first the second book which he was in um as they read his introduction and and the things he was doing i was getting a lot of feedback people loved him i was just like wow who knew like that character took off like so big that when i got to the third book i was like he needs to now be like uh one of the main characters and needs to be throughout the entire novel right uh, is this the vein you're going to be in? I mean, in, in for a while. I know that you, uh, you know, you, you kind of like, you know, you kind of like this world. But do you have plans to kind of step outside? Are, are you, you know, working on anything? Are you uh, that, that's outside this world? Of, of, yeah, of, I'm, of, I'm I mean, done I mean the world one. of like urban fantasy. Yeah, I'm done with these these urban fantasy books right now. I wanted to get the three done, and then I wanted to move back. Uh, with Soulborn being uh, republished by a new publisher. She gave me a contract for four books, Soulborn and three afterwards, which um, Soulborn was originally a three-book series as well, but then that third book, I, I wrote it. It never was published in the past, and it was mm. massive. It was like 200,000 words, oh, and shit. I cut it in half into two books, so they ended up being a four-book series. And so this new publisher signed me for the entire series. Soulborn was published last November. She's actually editing the, the follow-up, Blood Divided, uh, right now, so I'm going to be going back and forth with her, um, fixing that one up, and polishing up the, the the third and fourth books. But as far as writing something new, I'm actually working on writing the sequel to the Viking book, which I wrote, which was a very standalone, could have been just one book and just finished right there. But um, I wanted to actually write at least a second book to, fo- to follow it with the characters. Um, those characters, as I said, I did so much history, um, like research, and I, I got so deeply into that world that after writing the first book, I, I stepped away for like a year, and I, I went back to writing the urban fantasy, but I kept on thinking back, I, like, I'm a fantasy writer. I'm a, I'm a dark fantasy, fantasy uh, 
genre lover that I was like, that's where I belong, and that's really my thing. So as soon as I'm done the urban fantasy, I want to get right back to it. Gotcha. Yeah, Shannon and I were talking about, like, urban fantasy the other night, and it's just – it's one of those genres that has exploded, I guess, like in the last, what, 25, 30 years. It's just been massively – because fantasy used to be, you know, like I said, it was more Tolkien and things like that, and now dark urban Mm -hmm. fantasy has just exploded. Where do you kind of think it's going to – because now that it's kind of done all – I mean, the apocalyptic stuff and everything else – what do you think is, like, next on the horizon? I mean, are you looking for, like, okay, what's the next, like, on the horizon maybe kind of thing that, that'll be conquered? Because we've done, like, all the apocalyptic thing. I'm just going to say, like, the Hunger Games and Maze Runner kind of come to mind and stuff like yeah. that. And and now it's, you know, and, and so things are different. But where do you kind of see the future of, like, this kind of going? You know, it's weird. Like, when I started, like, wanting to write urban fantasy – Urban fantasy was just urban fantasy. But by the time I got done writing my books, urban fantasy had become paranormal romance. And when I'll sit at a book signing, people will pick up my book and they'll be like, oh, paranormal romance. And I'll be like, yeah, I guess. I mean, if you want to call it that. And it's actually my one book actually won a paranormal romance award. So I've embraced (laughs) it. But I never intended to write paranormal romance, but here I am. So I guess it's like for me, I try not to like jump on the current trends. I I don't really enjoy being somebody who's just following the trends or like, you know, whenever there's like a, a movie coming out, suddenly you see like there's a Pacific right. Rim movie coming out. And suddenly there's like Atlantic Gorge on Netflix. And yeah. you're like, huh? Where, like, where'd that come from? I don't like to be that person. I don't want to be that person. I've never been that person. So, Mm -hmm. like, I will stand back and watch the trends go, and I might be like, yeah, I kind of want to fit myself in a little bit there, but I'll never, like, try to, like, forecast them or or be, like, right on top of them as they're happening. You know, I remember when the first episode of South Park came out, and I thought, oh, nobody's going to watch this. And I watched the first episode, and I was like, man, I'm so cool. I'm watching this show. Probably nobody's watching it. And then, like, I went to, like, school the next day. I was, I was in college, and it's like, everybody's talking about it. And I'm just like, really? Everybody saw that? Like, <laughs> I didn't think this was going to be a thing. You know, and now it's this huge thing. You know, so you, you never know. I'm, I have no idea what will happen. I, I feel like the zombie thing has got to be dying out now, and the apocalypse think, thing I, has to be dying it? out. God. And, I mean, I mean, superhero things is sort of like, I mean, after the next Avengers movie, like, Maybe that's starting to start dying out. The thing about superheroes is that they've been around since, you know, the 30s. I mean, you're coming up to what? I mean, 100 years of action comics is going to be in the next, um, what, 15 years, I think, which is what the first appearance of Superman was. And then, you know, in the uh, the 20s, you had uh, Batman and Detective Comics and stuff like that. So they've been around so long that I think people look at that and – it's like, oh, you know, it's just, you know, comic book stuff. But, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do with Avengers thing. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. There seems to be a huge, like, 80s revival. I mean, everything that's old is new again. I mean, I turn on the TV, and I'm like, Roswell's back on TV. How did Roswell come back on TV? Really? So, I mean, maybe, like, that's Jericho? What... Are they going to do a third season of Jericho? Because that kind of pissed me off when they killed that one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm waiting for Alphas to be brought back. That oh, one hurt shit. my feelings. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah so you, know, you never know. Maybe that's what will happen. Maybe it will be like a whole reboot and revival thing just kind of taken off. You know, people will go back to the novels they've written 
20 years ago and write sequels to them or, or redevelop them or, or add additional novels to the to series. I don't know. It's yeah. really hard to tell. It, it really feels like as much as we're pushing forward, things have kind of gotten a little stagnant. I don't know. I don't know how right. to say it. But, you know. I, I, I mean, it I'm, makes sense. I mean, just look what they're doing with Star Wars. I mean, you know, when we oh had gosh. the first three Star Wars, you thought that was it. I mean, yeah. you, you, didn't, you, you, know, you never thought, oh, wait a second, there's probably a whole other world of shit going on. You had no idea what was going on, so it's about time to talk about it. And then they do that in the books very well, because I think there's, what, 200 and over yeah. 200 books written Star Wars-wise and double that Star Trek. I mean, that's massive stuff, too. But, yeah, I, and, and those worlds have just, you know, flown open. But I don't know. I, I, the, the fantasy stuff always amazes me because it's always those um, – you know those minds that just go into directions that you just uh, that I just can't. Sometimes I just can't get there. So it amazes me when I see how you guys are able to create these things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and you don't want to force it. I mean, you know, the the Star Wars movies, like you're saying, the first three that came out, we all loved them. We were all happy, and then <laughs> we, we sort of forced those those additional movies on us, and we were it was kind of mixed review. I mean, the books were fantastic, and people really love all that all the books and maybe that's just where the star wars future and history should have stayed yeah. is in the books um Could be. I, yeah you know you, you see these fantasy like game of thrones is out and everybody's everybody's loving it and then you'll see like some forced fantasy tv shows to pop up and they do horribly and they last like half a season and then you feel yeah. like wow the fantasy genre is getting like a bad rep again because they're making us watch things that really shouldn't have been created to begin with because they were just totally forced, or like somebody was like, "Oh, hey, look, Game of Thrones is making money. We can make monies on, on uh, what was that one? The one was on CW recently. Uh, uh, like the Outpost. The, or a show like on that. CW? <clears throat> yeah. You know, oh, I don't know. Outpost. I mean, I try. That's not one of my big stations because that's more like teen. Uh, CW is, I think, a little bit more teen stuff for me. But yeah, I don't. I think the last show I watched on CW actually was like Arrow, and I kind of got rid of that one in a couple, <laughs> you know, uh, I got rid of that one in a couple of years. I was kind of like, eh, you know, but I'm unfortunately uh, entrenched in Riverdale because of it's got the guy from Scream, it's got the girl from Twin Peaks, it's got Molly Ringwald, okay. it's got the guy from 90210. It's like it's just crazy. Like you're, you're watching and you're like, oh my god, there's Mike Tyson's wife. She was on some <laughs> show in the 80s. It, it, it just freaks you out. It's like a, a, a cast of characters from 80s movies and TV shows and a cast of, of the younger, you know, teen angst characters now. But, yeah, I mean, just seeing Luke Perry as, like, uh, the dad, and he's all grizzled, and you're <laughs> just like, ah, oh, wait a minute. He was the cool biker outcast a couple of years ago, right? No, that's more than a couple of years. <laughs> well, heck, isn't... Mark Paul Gosler, I mean, Saved by the Bell. Is it, he's in a – what series is he in? Because he's, he's in a new TV series, I know, that you would look and be like, that's Saved by the Bell guy is in there, Zach? You know? I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. With exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but like I said, it's the when, 80s revival thing. They're, they're grabbing these people from the past, and they're like, oh, oh, people loved him back then. Let's put yeah. him in something now. Now, when you – the, 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 when you start having to do a world creation, you start having to do the fantasy stuff, are you, like, looking like, you're like, okay, you know what, this is not going to happen for a couple years. So you're building that as you're writing something else. Is that kind of how your writing process has to work? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I'm I'm go with the flow. Like, I'm developing as I write. I'm not – I don't have notes on the wall. I don't have, you know, a big – 
chalkboard. I don't draw out things. I don't uh, write outlines. Uh, I'm just going with it and letting things develop. So you have like a board of like so so I'm trying to picture so you have like a lot of different things that are happening all at once even though you're in like a current series. Yeah, 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 exactly. Man, it's that, all in my I head, mean, that takes like, you know. Yeah, I mean that takes a massive amount of uh multitasking. <laughs> True. And sometimes it's like you're out shopping and you're like, "Oh man, I need to be home like getting this out of my head." But, you know, exactly. it's just it's it's just where it is. It's it these things they live in your head, and you can at least for me I can revisit them when I need to, and and I don't forget them, so they're just there. And when I sit down to write, I get them out on the paper, and I move on to the next thing. And and yeah, I might have like a fantasy book in my head and an urban fantasy book in my head at the same time, and I can usually jump back and forth pretty well between them. Um, it would you know you'd think you'd have to like take a step really far away and and like get back in the mindset or the headset of the other character, but I'm pretty good at jumping back and forth. Cool. So where's the best place for everyone to find out more about you and all the stuff that you got going on? My my personal website, which is www.kevinbro.com, which is K-E-V-I-N-B-R-E-A-U-X.com. Uh, that's just like my yeah, author don't say hub. B-R-O because that ain't going to work. <laughs> it sounds like B-R-O. It's spelled differently. <laughs> And that's the best place for everyone to find out all the information about you and what you have going on? Absolutely. It's got all the links, um, all the book yeah. covers, all the book information. Well. Yeah, I keep it updated very well. Yeah. And are you li- are you uh, Facebook and Twitter? Are you pretty active on social medias? Yeah, yeah, Facebook, um, Instagram, those two. Oh, man. I just – I try so hard, and then I get into a mood, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this for like a week – and then I see, you know, people's dinners, and then I hear people wanting money, and this, and I'm like, okay, this is why I'm not on this stupid shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instagram's a little safer than Facebook, I think, with that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I mean, True. Instagram's just filled with, like, uh, bikini models and uh, pretty, like, cats and pretty photos. So, you know, you're I safer like there than Facebook. <laughs> yeah, Facebook is like politics. You know, you're like, oh, wait a minute, look, oh, politics. Oh. I'll go back to the bikini models over there. Yes. Oh, yeah. What's the bikini model? What's this one doing? What's this one doing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, man, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you and talk with you and uh, and, and see how everything you got going on. And, uh, you know, I love your fantasy series and, and, and all the stuff you got going on. I got I to gotta catch up with you now. It's been so long. I got to kind of get back in and, and, and catch these things up. So congratulations on everything, man, and great speaking to you again. We got to stay in touch more often. Yeah, we'll do, totally. And I'll send you some books or something for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Keep me up to date on and what they got going on. I mean, because it's, um, I'm sure your fans are always, you know, clamoring to be like, damn, only one a year. Can you think? Can you write a little faster than that, maybe? <laughs> I, I think, think I'm a pretty good. Uh, people, I'm pretty good because, case compared to other people. Because see, the thing is, is people think that well, you can just ebook it and put it out there, and it's like that's true. I can just ebook and put it out there. The problem is, I have to write it, I have to edit it, I have to massage it, I have to, and it takes a lot of work to do that. But sure, I can just take a Word document and throw it up there, and there you go. But then you have yeah, cover it's design. important you have for all me to find good go cover art. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, give me some time to, like, you know, do some stuff here, though, you know, creation-wise. I mean, yeah. hell, how many musicians are throwing out two albums a year? Oh, gosh, none. Right. No one's doing that. So it's like, why do they yeah. think authors should do the same thing? It's like, yeah, no. Well, it's I can all publish, creation. like, like – Ten books a year, if they're only ten thousand words each, if they want. But I mean, I I write like hundred thousand words a book, so 
Yeah, I mean, you could do a green mile and say, okay, here's the first 5,000 words and the second 5,000, and then there you go. You can just, and then it's just an ongoing story arc. But at the end of the day, guess what? When you're all done, it was one book, and it took you a year to get there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Either way. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I hey, man, start writing you have a good comics, one. And we were, yeah, yeah, it's not a comic. I mean, that's what a comic book is, exactly. Yeah. So, hey, man, it's been great catching up to you. We will talk with you soon, and uh, you have a great one. Yeah, you too. Thanks a lot. All right, bye-bye. Bye. So, again, everybody, that is author Kevin James Bro. Make sure you go check him out. I mean, great fantasy writer in the urban fantasy and in the world. Um, and, uh, again, it's Kevin, and it's B-R-E-A-U-X dot com is his website. And, you know, check out all of his stuff. Uh, even if you're really not into the fantasy world, it's good to go and check out other genres and check out, you know, other writers and, and, and get into these things because it – it's fantasy is I'm telling you if you ever really dove into that world it's an extremely extremely time consuming uh venture for any author to do it's more it's a lot different than as i said like a crime fiction kind of book where you know you 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 kind of have uh you know you you have the good guy the bad guy and then they just kind of get together and it's kind of about some emotional things Fantasy is is a much different thing, and you're it's able to submerge yourself in a world that you really lose yourself. And in today's day and age, with everything that's going on, and you're afraid to turn the TV or see an update on your phone or read an email or get on a Facebook, fantasy is the way to go right now because it's going to take you out of all of that noise that you're not going to have to hear anymore. And so, and Kevin is a great author to to jump into. So make sure you check that out. We're going to be taking a short break, and we are going to be joined here, hopefully, by Lisa. She should be calling in soon. So in the meantime, here you go. Welcome back, everybody. After the break, uh, we want to again. We want to say thanks to uh, Kevin James Bro for coming on and talking to us. Of course, it's February, and that means one thing, and that means that it's Lisa Gardner Month. Um, and her latest book is out, and it is called Never Tell, and it is a D.D. Warren Florida Day novel. So we are so pleased to bring Lisa back to the show. Lisa, how are you doing today? Great, thank you, John. It's February, and it's nice to talk to you again. 
Yeah, exactly. This is our one time a year, but we will see each other, I think, at Thriller Fest this year, if you'll be there, because we'll be there. So at least we'll have two times a year to say hello, um, ah, which is awesome. always good. Now, your latest book, Never Tell, you know, Dee Dee Warren, Floor Dane, um, it's got all the things that you want kind of going on in here. So why don't you give us a little background about what you got going on for us today? Okay, perfect. So Never Tell opens with a pregnant woman standing over her husband's dead body, and she is literally holding the smoking gun. But what makes this case extraordinary is Detective Dee Dee Warren immediately recognizes the woman. She had investigated her 16 years ago as a teenager when the girl had um, accidentally shot and killed her father. So Dee Dee, of course, is immediately suspicious. Um, who has two tragic shootings in their life? But just to complicate matters further, Flora Dane, who was once kidnapped and held captive by Jacob Nex, she recognizes the husband. He had met her kidnapper in a bar. Now, both of these women want to know the answer to this question. Um, you know, what was going on in this marriage? What is his wife actually capable and what was the husband capable of as well? Yeah, this was a pretty a cool emotionally charged. The one thing, you know, you, the, I love the mystery elements into it because when you first just read, and I always like to read the synopsis and kind of get the idea, and the one thing that, that gets out to me is when it says, you know, the man is shot and killed three times, but someone really hated the computer because they shot the shit out of that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and so that's, you know, that's the thing that got sent, sent me thinking like, okay, there's a lot more going on in this story because of that. And, and those are the elements that I really love that, you know, you bring to the table because it's not just the crime thriller. It's not just Dee Dee going around, but it's the mystery elements. It's the underlying tones that you kind of have to bring out. And, and that was kind of cool. So Never Tell is inspired by a real-life mystery that we actually still don't have the answer for. But the one of the only, if not the only, female mass murderers in the United States was a woman who was denied tenure at um, like Tennessee or Alabama, brought a gun to the meeting, at the end of it, opened fire, killed like more than five of her colleagues. But where this story in real life gets interesting and became the basis for Never Tell is when she was a teenager, she was accused of accidentally shooting and killing her older brother. And of course, after the mass shooting, everyone had to ask the question, were these two things connected? Did she get away with murder as a teenager? I mean, has this woman like really been a psychopath all these years? Um, right. The New Yorker ran this fabulous piece on it. And the truth is, we don't know. Um, there's a million ways of interpreting this. They didn't keep evidence the first time around. But I love that really intriguing question that you can do something as a kid that maybe seems as a one-off. But, mm -hmm. you know, well, 20 years later, the same thing happens again. <laughs> you know, right. people are very complicated. One of the things the New Yorker suggested was they thought it was the trauma of shooting her brother set the stage for later becoming a mass murderer. I don't know, but I love those questions, and I like the complexity, and I love where fiction gives us the chance to try to answer some questions where in real life we'll just never know. 
Right. I mean, and I guess because everybody wants to know the why, so they can maybe yeah. see. So they can maybe see and say, okay, can I see the uh, the the signs in somebody else, and, and can I see this, you know, in somebody else, you know, growing up or this kind of happening. Everybody likes to know the why. But when you're trying yeah. to, because now when Didi and Flora kind of have to try, and you have to try to explain the why, how challenging is that to, to you know? And I know we've talked about this before, but I mean, you got to put yourself into those places that you yourself have never had to go or will go, and 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 that's kind of, and that's always the the biggest challenge I would think of having to put your mind into those places. I love books that kind of give you. With- with one hand and then take away with the other. Um, I'm not a plotter. So Evie Carter is the woman in question. She's pregnant. We know at one point in time she certainly loved her husband, Conrad. We know with opening the book, things are definitely gone sour, and there's a lot of tension between them, if not almost fear. But what happened? What went wrong in this marriage? And I didn't know the answer to that question either. Did Evie kill her husband? Why would she do this? What was he up to? Why had their marriage fallen apart? For me, writing is a chance to kind of explore all these things, like you said, and put yourself out there. And what makes a good marriage? And what makes a marriage fall apart? And I loved these chapters where as fast as you think you understand what's going on, because Evie thinks maybe she understands what's going on, a new piece of the puzzle gets revealed, and oh no, but it's not that simple after all. Right, and and then on top of it, you sit there and you start going, and you're you know, and like you said, all these things, and you're like, yeah, let's make her pregnant too. <laughs> 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 like there's not enough. You're like, no, we're missing that cherry. You know, it's like we're missing that cherry. Oh, let's make her pregnant. Okay, now let's start adding it into it. It's like, <laughs> it's like that poor woman, you know. Um, I wanted that element where their marriage really was at a turning point, but there was also something of value there, something that made it more critical, more important, and why things came to a head now. Yeah. And you hear all the time people in relationships like that having a kid think it's going to solve the problem, and sometimes they get into that mindset, and and that's, you know, uh, you hear those things. So. Those are always those crossroads within those relationships and whatnot. But so all those emotional elements, which you always are so good at doing, do do you think that you kind of because this one isn't as emotionally charged, I guess, as some of your others. It's more, it's more emotional charged in in the sense of, oh, what am I trying to say? I guess it's more emotionally charged in in the case kind of part of it. But as far as like the characters emotionally, you kind of decided to kind of make it more. Uh, about cases and about the past, I think, than 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 the future. Yes, this book right? is very much a, a, a turning point for Flora Dane. Um, I first wrote about her and find her. She'd been abducted for 472 days. Um, right. You know, she was rescued by the FBI. It's five years later. But she's that, you know, that classic PTSD. She hasn't magically been able to just pick up and move on with her life. And one of the ways she's dealing with her anxiety and extreme stress is she's become a vigilante. She's become almost like hyper-prepared, hyper-aware. You know, no one will ever, you know, get her again. Um, but one of the things I think that makes her compelling as a character, as you know, 
she is very much aware. She hasn't really healed. She's not moving on with her life. She's just, and her coping mechanism, you know, hunting down predators and killing them is perhaps not the healthiest approach to to moving on with her life either. And this book becomes pivotal to her because she has had this kind of resolution that she'll never look back. But when she turns on the TV and sees, you know, this major murder, you know, shocking local mystery and this guy's face flashes on the TV and she recognizes him, now all of a sudden the past is before her. I mean, who was this guy? Why was he meeting with Jacob? She starts to understand all the questions she's never really contemplated and maybe there are other girls out there that she could have helped if she just if she would look backwards if she would think about she went through but what a hard horrible experience to ask a survivor to do you know to go back through that kind of trauma so it was a conscious decision for you to kind of like you said pivot flora in this book you thought that this was that you made a conscious decision to kind of to kind of do that or when you just started writing, you realized this is what it was going to happen. You know, it's true. I like to torture my characters. I'm like, sure. just an evil author that way. I mean, if I'm you're lucky, they don't ever come alive because they're going to nightmare <laughs> yes. you if they ever do. <laughs> really? Yeah, absolutely. It's like there needs to be a lesson they're still trying to learn, or there needs to be some sense of progress for them. And with Flora, to me, it's clearly all the stuff she's just not dealing with, and so that became basically this book became sometimes the only way to go forward is to look backwards. But again, you feel for her, for someone who went through everything she went through, what, you know, a horrific and painful process. Also had a lot of fun introducing a new character, Keith, who's this true kind buff, um, you know, for sure he'll be like the geek who lives in his parents' basement. Of course, he turns out to be a Ted Bundy lookalike. Um, <laughs> he swears he knows everything there is to know about Jacob Ness. Um, this has become very common in real life, too. He has a true crime group, and they work on trying to solve cold cases. You know, civilians pooling their resources and combing the Internet for clues. Um, it's actually become almost popular in this day and age, like various Sherlock Holmes club and Flora hunts him down because she's just curious who can really be the expert on Jacob Ness. I mean, she was the one kidnapped. She's the expert on Jacob Ness. And Keith to me adds this great element to Flora's recovery where clearly they are intrigued by each other. Flora's issue is she can't decide if, is he legitimately helpful or is he, you know, just a serial killer stalking her and, I actually don't know the answer to that, which makes it a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, and, and that does. And I, and I was going to kind of ask because, you know, when, when you're writing a series, uh, you know, D.D. Warren and, and God, and was, is this, I, I forgot to count, and I always, I always try to get, this is like 14, 15, I think we're into. I have no idea, to tell you the truth. I don't yeah, count yeah. either. <laughs> but when you're writing a series that, that you know, that has D.D. and that has, you know, going on for so long, you know, you have to keep it fresh and you have to try to, you know, yeah. you know keep 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 them moving. So, what is the most exciting part for you to bring you back to that typewriter? I mean, not typewriter, a computer. I, you know, the, yeah. the computer to to come back. You know, yeah. what is it? What what draws you back all the time to want to keep doing this and keep it fresh instead of saying, you know what, 
I need to take a break for a couple years or three years or five years, and then we'll come back. What, what is it? I love puzzles. I mean, that's what the best suspense novel is. That's what I feel like what I try to do as a writer is I sit down and I construct an elaborate puzzle, and I don't know the answer. That's what keeps me intrigued. Um, what was Conrad the husband's secret? Is he a good guy or bad guy? I mean, I honestly didn't know. Did Evie shoot him, not shoot him? Should she have shot him? I honestly didn't know. Um, Flora, what's she going to learn by going backwards? And now there's this new guy in our life. You know, again, is he predator? Is he maybe a threat of salvation? Um, I don't know. And that's what gives me the incentive to show up each day. I like a really good puzzle. I like characters where they don't know what's going to happen next, and neither do we. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you get down to the end, and do you ever say, oh, shoot, I, I'm, I, I lost a piece, and you got to kind of have to, you know, fill that in, or do you just be like, you know what, we're just going to leave that cliff hanging out there for another story or, or something else like that? Because they, they don't all have to be finished, because there is that yeah. element of, well, wait a second, she kind of left that thread of just a little open and like what's going to happen and then, you know, you kind of fill that in. So do you, when you kind of go back, do you notice those kinds of things and you're like, uh, you know, let's just leave that open a little bit? I think you can have a thread or two that you're going to come back to. I think the main plot, I do like having some closure for the reader. Um, I want, you know, I feel like in real life, closure is hard to get. We are surrounded by all these major news shows, you know, shocking headline crimes and abductions and events, and we don't get the answers. Why did this happen? I think it's one of the things we're looking for when we read a thriller is to have some sense of, okay, this is why. So I feel a substantial amount of the book, you do need to answer the question. However, when you have really complicated characters, you're going to see them again. I also think you can leave some, seem, some threads here. Things are still working out, and clearly we'll visit again in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, those are, and those are always the fun things to, to kind of notice because it's like, well, you know, there's something that's out there, but it's always those little nuggets, like you said, that you can come back to. It's like, well, what is the secret and what was the past? And, and then these things kind of, kind, of, kind of jump up a little bit. But now you're already into the next book, I'm sure. I'm sure it's already either done, it's yeah. being edited, or it's going through the whole process. Oh, oh excuse me. Or, or whatnot. So with, with, this, with this next book you got coming up and tying it into, you know, Never Tell, how was, you know, how was that kind of transition? I mean, how often do you kind of have to go back and look at those things that you wrote, because a lot of authors, once they write the book, you really don't go back and reread them. But, you know, do you, do you have to do that a lot to kind of make sure that, that things are still smooth in the world? I have to graph elements. When I first started out in my writing career, I'll confess I just kind of wrote a book. And then, oh, wait, that character, that F profiler would look, work great in this next book. And oh, didn't I say he had a kid? Well, how old is the kid? So now I've learned to start when I'm writing, kind of track major characters, dates, you know, key events in their lives. And that enables me to keep, 
you know, continuity elements, keep it smooth. But what I always love in fiction as in real life, when the characters discover something they didn't even know. Like to me, there's a very powerful moment in Never Tell where Flora Dane, I mean, she spent 472 days with this guy. You know, she would have said there was no one that knew Jacob Ness as well as she did. And when she starts discovering everything the FBI has actually learned about him, everything Keith, the true crime geek, has learned about him, lots of it was stuff she didn't know. And how kind of strange and surreal is this? It's almost like the predatory equivalent of a marriage. We like to think we know everything there is to know about our spouses. But, of course, we don't. I mean, Flora would say... Her captor, Jacob Nex, was, is the most powerful relationship she'll ever have in her life. And still, he had secrets from her. And that's just such great depth and fodder. And I don't know what all those secrets are. It gives me incentive, like you said, to keep writing the next few novels. (laughs) Now, the one thing that you have done in the past, which you did this time, too, because the book Never Tell comes out on February the 19th. So anybody who's listening now, it comes out in 10 days, and you can pick up your copy. But what you've done this in the past before uh, you had a little Dee Dee novella because she had some time when she was pregnant and things, and you kind of filled yeah. in those gaps. And you did it again here uh, with a novella called The Guy Who Died Twice. So, and that's out now. So what was the yeah. premise kind of writing behind that book? Can you talk a little bit about that one? Oh, my gosh, it's so much fun. I call him the twice-dead dude, like the twice-baked potato. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. So it's fun to have kind of these one-off cases for Dee Dee to work. And um, the the guy who died twice is based on a real-life neurological condition called cotards. It's extremely rare, but it is it happens. And the sufferer is actually convinced they're dead. Not that they're dying, not that they're paranoid, but they believe they are physically dead. And they, you can't argue with them. You can say uh, you're drinking a glass of water. You are talking. Clearly, you are alive. And they'll be like, oh, no, 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 I'm dead. And there's a couple of things that makes it happen from a neurological perspective. But it's a miswiring of the brain. It's also a form of really extreme depression that this illusion is extremely real to them. It actually generally takes luck. And so in this case, it was just made for this great setup to have this elderly guy show up at Boston Police Department, you know, kind of saying, I'm dead. Um, I need to see the detectives about that. And of course, Dee Dee and her squad, uh, no, dude, you're you're pretty much alive. <laughs> and in the end, you know, they're detectives. They don't deal with the insane. You know, that's a different department. (laughs) So they pack up the guy. They find out his name and identity. They send him home, and two hours later, he's murdered. Now he's definitely dead. And, of course, we have Dee Dee on the hunt. And I did it almost as a closed-room mystery. Um, Everyone who could have had access to him all lived in this, you know, great Gothic mansion, this townhouse in downtown Boston, and there's a butler and a maid and chauffeur and it was really a lot of fun to do there's no real time for forensics and they won't help you anyway because everyone could explain why they would have their fingerprints they all live in the house so to speak so it's this great kind of a cross between you know an old agatha christie with this you know bizarre 
mental condition thrown in. Who killed the twice dead dude? <laughs> <laughs> and and you again, and this is something that you've explored too, because you have you've had rare diseases that you've explored. Um, the one where, and I don't remember the book, but the one where the girl couldn't feel pain and she had to check herself every day. And, yes. you know, and she had her sister and, and that was a very explosive kind of story that you had to do. So you like to kind of explore not just the emotional things, but you explore how ailments and how things, uh, how people react to those things, because it is those kinds of things that you don't hear about in everyday society, but they are real in other people's <laughs> lives. Yeah, you basically caught me, John. I procrastinate a lot reading articles on rare medical conditions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, how do you find this? I would have never known that this was a condition that people literally think they're dead. Well, you know, on the, when you surf the Internet and you get those little columns, strange news or weird news. Oh, see, I no, click you're on clicking those. on sponsored links. <laughs> I am. <laughs> and you get book ideas. <laughs> this is the secret to my success, clicking on oh, sponsored links, links on the Internet. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, mean, I mean, I knew that there was like a fear of everything. I mean, I'm sure somebody's scared yeah. of candles, and I'm sure somebody's scared of white paint or something like that. But I never knew that people actually walked around thinking that they were already dead. When I did another neurological condition, um, uh, gosh, what's the name of the book? It'll come to me. Uh, Three Truths and a Lie. About It's the reverse of ghost pain. It's where you actually have a limb, like a hand or a leg or foot, but you don't believe it's yours. And actually, ghost pain has helped them understand it better Again, in real life, theory for every attachment we have in our body, there's a corresponding map in the brain. And your problem with ghost pain is you've lost the physical appendage, but you still have the neurological map in your brain, and that's what's sending you, you know, impulses of pain. Um, This other syndrome, which I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, the form of body dysmorphia, you have the appendage but you don't have the map in your brain. So people will literally try to amputate body parts because they're convinced, you know, they're from aliens, they don't belong to them. They can literally cannot be whole until the leg is gone. I mean, you have to admit that that's just morbid and fascinating. (laughs) But but that's the layer because, you know, you have a lot of crime (laughs) authors who will just write about the emotional part of their marriage or their kids or their relationship. <laughs> but then you add the element of, no, he thinks he's freaking dead, too. So, no, they have these other things. Doesn't I mean, it's not, to him. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the thing. It's kind of like, well, what can I do with, you know, with, uh, with, with, with Eva? Well, let's make her pregnant, too. You know, you put that extra layer of frosting on the cake, and that's the depth of the, of the stories that you write. <laughs> I mean, well, if you're going you know, to spend a year writing a book, you have to have some fun, you know. <laughs> and right, you need some frosting. Just fun, <laughs> exactly. Right. You need some frosting. <laughs> so, where are you going to be? Um, are you going to? Where, where are fans going to be able to uh, to catch you? You got some signings coming up, or you got some conferences you're yes. going to be at this year? Absolutely. So, book tour starts in uh, New Hampshire on February 18th, and then I go to the Poison Pen in. Scottsdale, Arizona, which is always an amazing store. Yeah. There's a Murder by the Book in Houston, a couple events in Dallas, 
And then I'm closing up with two great stops in Boston. People can find the information on Facebook, Lisa Gardner Books, BKS, or on the website, lisagardner.com. Um, in, I think it's a... In a couple months, I'm going to be honored. It's very humbling. In Maine, I'll be at a conference and be awarded, um, I think it's Best Suspense Novelist in Maine, which is just a, a huge and humbling honor given past recipients include Tess Gerritsen, you know, some of my own personal heroes. So, I mean, that, that will just be a ridiculous amount of fun. Nice. Now, are you going to do it? Do you do a lot of virtual kind of? Uh, th- I know that you're very active on social media, but do you do any like uh, any virtual kind of you know Skypes or with book clubs and and things like that? And, and the, I know you did some of that in the past before. Do you still kind of do those things? Um, not so much so now. Um, I, I will confess, my big project after book tour is to get the next book written i have a hundred pages right. but um I, I about 400 more would be good <laughs> <laughs> yeah but then you know i, I think a lot I, I, but you're going to be at thriller fest this year so i haven't nailed down all my travel but it's oh. in the cards yeah because 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 you because you're pretty much you like to go pretty much every year i know and we haven't been for three so it's good that we're finally coming back um to thriller fest too we you know we kind of we kind of go like a couple years in a row kind of kind of take a couple years off and and let it kind of percolate a little bit so yeah i get you but yeah i i have some opportunities for some fun travel i have to be honest um my daughter's going to be in spain and doesn't it sound like i should be in spain too so i'm contemplating that that. that (laughs) yeah we're we're planning on going back to (laughs) thailand and cambodia i think next february we were just there a year ago in february and we were to go back we love asia and so that's kind of where we like yeah. to spend our time is to go over to asia but lisa it's I always a pleasure it. yeah and it's always a pleasure we love having you on congratulations of course on the book never tell out february 19th but the guy who died twice which is uh the short novella is out now so people can pick that up on amazon right now i see for a buck 99 and then uh get into never tell and then it's just boom February Lisa Gardner month. That's what we got. <laughs> thank you so much, so. John. Thank you. You have a great one, and hopefully we will catch up sometime this year, and we'll see you soon. Perfect. Thanks, John. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. So, again, everybody, that is author Lisa Gardner. And here she goes. The book is Never Tell. Uh, Dee Dee Warren is uh, is back, and, of course, she is also back with Flora Dane, and maybe you want to make sure that you check this one out. So, Never Tell, February <laughs> The 19th, uh, you can pre-order it now. And if you haven't got into her series, I mean, this is not just a great entry point because all of her books are, you know, you kind of standalone written uh, with underlying kind of uh, summaries. But uh, definitely make sure that if you're a crime reader and you're a fiction reader and, and this is and you're in, in thrillers and suspense, that Lisa's definitely on your on your list. So make sure you check that out. Well, we will see you all guys later. Um, again, make sure you check things out. We are going to be changing things up here. So the Saturday show. Uh, is going to be going away. Um, we got about three more shows booked, and that's all I'm going to book. And we're going to do other things. Um, actually, it's going to be more time to not do as many live shows. We're going to do more interviews and post them up. Um, so check out what's going on. we got a lot of big things that are coming down the pike. So until next time, everybody, thank you so much. Keep reading. See you next time.